Good morning. Uh, my name is Kiara Thorne, and I am the campus leader here. And we have been uh, doing a series on honor. Um, if you guys might remember, in the fall, we're going to talk about Nehemiah and Ezra and some more practical things. Um, before we give you how to do deep things in the spirit, we want to teach you about how to be a family in the spirit first. And so that's why we're talking about honor. I'm going to pray. Even though Jesus is here, I need the Lord. Uh, Lord, I need you. And I thank you, God, that anytime anybody asks for you, it is your delight to come. You're not a father that people ask for bread and you give them snakes and scorpions, but you pour out your whole entire spirit to them. And so, Lord, I pray you pour your spirit out on me and on us and on them and the generations that come after them that will receive from you. Um, whatever you want to say, I'm cool with. Um, let's do that together. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so... Um, We've been talking about honor, like I said, and I have been tasked with talking about humility and forgiveness in relationship to honor from Colossians 3. And I was reading through the section, and the section that um, I was assigned is, is 12 through 14, but it's only three verses, right? Because math, 12, 11, 13, yes, 14, four verses. It's only four verses, and I feel like if you just start a story in the middle, you feel very, very confused and lost. So rather than starting you guys in the middle of this passage and just hoping that you understand everything, I want to explain what was going on in Colossians and then explain how we got to this chapter three before we read it together and talk about what's going on, okay? All right, so um, Colossians is a book. Um, that's actually a letter written to the Colossian church. Um, Paul wrote the letter, but Paul didn't plant the Colossian church. Is this guy named Ephesus? Epaphus? Epaphras. I think it's Epaphras. I need them to have more Jims or Johns or like names that are not as hard. He got a P and a PH in his name. His name is Epaphras, and he planted the church, and Paul was imprisoned, and Epaphras and some other people went up to Paul and were like, hey, we have this church. These are the believers. This is what they're doing. Can you write them a letter to just encourage them, to lead them as they grow in their discipleship, as they grow in maturity in Christ? And Paul says to Epaphras, and in the letter, that he has been, him and his homies, have been praying for the church since he heard of them. Because it's exciting to know that the gospel is expanding even beyond, even beyond Paul's ability to physically plant a church. Because he's in prison. He can't plant a church right now. But the gospel is spreading. So when he heard about this, he was super excited and he began to pray for them that they would be full of the wisdom and the knowledge of the Lord and that they would grow into full maturity as God has instructed them. So that's the beginning of the book, that letter of um, thanksgiving for them and excitement for them. And then the rest of chapter 1 and chapter 2 is Paul um, affirming them as Christians, uh, as followers of Jesus, even though some of them might not have been circumcised, even though some of them are Gentiles. It doesn't matter. He spends the first two chapters affirming their citizenship in the kingdom and affirming them of um, all that that means, that they're alive in Christ, that they can't be disqualified by their works. It doesn't work like that. It's salvation. It's belief in Christ that sat that qualifies you for salvation, not all the stuff that you do. So he spends the whole first 
two chapters convincing them of that, right? Before he ever gives them instruction, he's like, you are in the family of God. You said you submit to Jesus, you're in the family of God, right? So that's kind of where we start to pick up at chapter 3. After he convinces them that they're in the family of God, he explains to them now, since you are a part of the family of God, the first 12 verses is him saying, take off this other stuff that was from your former life. And when I was reading this last night, I was reading and praying, um, I was thinking about this and I was thinking about like examples that made this make sense because my mind works in analogies a lot of the time. And it reminded me of like, have you ever seen those movies or documentaries or even Facebook videos of like people who grew up in the woods? Who like, <laughs> who didn't grow up with parents and so they were just like out there and they're like human but they're like feral. Like you're like, good morning, they're like, Rrr. like that's, you know what I'm saying? They just have not been socialized, you know, appropriately. And so, I, and then, you know, people take them in and like trying to teach them how to be a human. But for a while, they're eating at the table and they're like, rum, rum, rum with all their hands. And they're like, you, you have a fork. Like, use your fork. Stop using your hands. But it takes them a while to recognize that they're not feral anymore. And so, in chapter 12, he says to them, since you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your, thing, set your mind on things above and not on things of the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ. He keeps going to say, put to death, therefore, that which is worldly and earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil, desires, covetousness, idolatry. Then he goes on to say, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. All that stuff was the stuff that you used before you came into this family. Meaning, before you belonged to somebody, when you weren't adopted by the Lord, when you had no family, when you had to figure out how to live with your current master with Satan, this is how you had to live. If you were in the woods, if you grew up in the woods, you better learn how to fight. It's coyotes and, and bugs, all kind of stuff out there. Okay, so you better, you better learn how to keep this stuff off you. You better learn how to make a fire. You better learn how to growl because they're coming. If a panther growl at me, I'm going to growl back. If I live here, otherwise I'm going to be eaten, right? So he's saying that is how you had to live before you were a part of this family. These were the tools that you used before you belonged to a family. Anger, wrath, malice, deceit, covetousness, all that stuff is stuff that keeps people away from you. It's stuff that keeps you disconnected. And if you live in the woods, if you don't have a family, if you don't belong to anybody, then keeping safe and disconnected is the best thing for you. But he is saying, just in the same way that the Lord was saying this earlier today with the spirit of adoption, you don't belong to that family anymore. You have a father. You have family members. You have brothers and sisters. So these tools don't suit you anymore. These tools distance you. I'm giving you tools that connect you. So put these down. You have the spirit-given ability to put these down. So he spends the beginning of chapter 3 saying, put them down. Take them off. They don't suit you anymore. Okay? Making sense? This is where we pick up in chapter 3, verse 12. He told them what to take off. Now he's going to tell them what they should put on. He says, put on then as, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these things, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. 
And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs, another your favorite part, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Is that it? Amen. Amen. So I just want to walk through this passage section by section to you because what Paul wrote to this church is the same thing that the Spirit of God is speaking to this church because that church and this church are one church. It's only one church. So it's the same thing, okay? So I want to go back up to the first couple of verses of um, chapter 3, which is 12, where I'm starting. He says, put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Those are all the kind, like I said before, the ones that disconnect you. These are all the kind of things that allow you to be connected to your brother and sister. Compassion allows you to be connected. Kindness. It is hard to be mean to somebody who is kind to you. It is just hard. How's your day going? I don't like you. You you got some stuff going on. It's hard. Kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. That first section is put on all these connectors. And a few verses down, he says, um... All of these tools are bound together in love. So if you were to look at love and try to break it down, like what does that mean? It would mean practically these things. It would mean being compassionate, being kind, having humility, having meekness, which is taking a low position even though you have power and authority. Just wanted to highlight that. Meekness is not an absence of power of authority. It's power and authority under control and submission. So you have power and authority. Don't think you're weak out here, but meekness is a choice that Jesus made and that we make because we're in him. So this is, this is the personification of love in a body of people. It's compassion, it's kindness, it's humility, it's meekness, and patience, right? That's the first section. The second section, don't keep going back. Bearing with one another and. The and was just in there before the comma. It's not really relevant to what I'm about to say, but bearing with one another is relevant to what I'm going to say. So every time I'm getting ready to preach, I, um, if Joel and I are preaching on the same thing, or even if we're not, um, he'll, he'll meet with me, and I'll tell him, this is what I'm thinking, and he'll say, okay, here's what I'm thinking, and we'll kind of collaborate so I don't get up here and say nothing crazy. And I appreciate that, that he helps me have that time to work through that piece and to make sure that I'm saying stuff that aligns with our values and all of those kind of things. So he was talking about his encounter, and if you go listen to his message, you'll hear this. He was talking about his encounter with this specific section, bearing with one another. He said, I, um, he said I had a meeting to go to, and he said he was feeling super anxious about the meeting because he knew the person like, might have been offended with him. And so he was like, ah, like, this meeting could go super south, and I, I don't want that. I feel super anxious about it. Um, and so he was praying and asking the Lord like, what to do because his anxiety was really high. And the Lord said, I want you to pray Colossians 3, 12 through 17 over them. And I want you to, like, let that dwell in your heart. And, he, and I, when he said that, I was like, I don't know what that means. Does that mean husbands and wives stuff? Because that's in here. Does that mean taking off malice? I don't know exactly what you mean when you said that. That's what I thought. But he explained this part, bearing with one another. And it, it blessed me so much. He said bearing with one another is making allowance for people to not be their best selves all the time. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That thing... It hit me when he said it, because don't you need that? 
That is, that is part of the humility and the meekness. Like, yes, you have the power to correct and to, you know, nah, 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 get better. But bearing with one another in love means making allowance for each other to not be their best selves all the time. This, this passage, that part has been transformative for me because I am not my best self all the time. I think more often than I am my best self, I'm not my best self. And so I feel so grateful for people who have capacity for me like that. I remember there was this one time where Devontae and I were going on a date. And, um, <laughs> okay, we were going on a date. And, um, man, sometimes we had this period where every single time we were going on a date, there would be some stupid argument that would pop up. And it would make the date, like, not fun for half of it. And I hated that. And I thought that was Satan. And I prayed that he would stop doing that if he was doing that. But there was one time where Devontae and I were driving. We were driving from Robinson. And some kind of way we ended up on 51 and we were headed back into Aliquippa. And I was just mean. And I don't know why I was so mean to him, but I was just being so nitpicky. It was like he couldn't do anything right. I was like, why you roll the windows down? You know you're going to mess my hair up. Like, put the windows back up. Why, you don't hear me talking to you? You're not going to say nothing to me? Can you change the song? I was just like, <laughs> and I don't know why I was so upset. And at first, Devontae was responding to each one of these things. Like, I was hot, so I put the window down. I like this song, so I turned the music up. Okay, I'm sorry. I'll turn the music back down. And then he just became really quiet. And if you know, if you know me personally, you know I hate to be ignored. I don't know what that is. Maybe it's a flaw. I don't know, but it's the one I have. I hate to be ignored. So I'm talking to him, and I'm like demanding reasons for why he is irritating me to this degree. And he is just quiet. And I'm like, you don't hear me talking to you? It's only two people in this car, me and you. You don't hear me talking to you? And he's just quiet. He didn't say anything. And so then I was angry, and then I just became quiet. And I didn't say nothing. I'm looking out the window all mad in a power struggle. And... <laughs> he looked over to me and he was so calm <laughs> he said have you eaten today <laughs> and, I said, <laughs> and I said no <laughs> and he was like can I feed you and I was like yeah it's fine and so because now we're going to get some food. Wherever we want her, no matter where we're going. He took me to get some food. We got some food, and now I'm in the car like, oh, this is a great song. No, 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 no. I'm like bopping around. <laughs> and I'm like so much more pleasant as a person. And then I looked at him, and I was like, I'm so sorry for being mean earlier. I don't know what was wrong. He was like, you were hungry, and it's okay. <laughs> have like worked on this because he and I intentionally eat something before we go on a date. Even if we're going to go eat food, we're going to have an apple or something because you just don't need that in the car ride over there. You just need to have a good car ride and then a good dinner, okay? But that, <laughs> but that for me was like a practical, tangible example of Devante bearing with me in love. Because he could have been like, this woman that I married is an antagonist. She is a rebel rouser. She is putting me down. She is condemning. She has no grace for me. Like, he could have assigned all of those things to my character and to my personhood. And it could have created an actual defense, that, uh, an offense that, like, creates a rift in our relationship. But he was like, I think she's hungry. Let me just check. And see if she's hungry. And I was. And it's not that. And that is this. There are some things about your brothers and sisters that are just a little bit irritating. And it's not necessarily like a, it's a, not a problem that you need to correct or address or anything like that. It's just like, that's not the way I would have done it. That's not the way I would have said it. 
That's not the way I would have talked to them. In those moments, or you have friends who are newer believers, and they just are young in their development. Or you have seen some things before. It's not even about young or old in the faith. There are some things that you've experienced in the faith that they might not have yet, so they don't know how to do this yet. That's not something that needs to be corrected immediately. That's the moments when you bear with one another. You give grace and space for one another to grow and to be human and to walk through their process and to still be worthy of your love, even if they're not in a position to be their best recipient at this moment. So that's the first half, bearing with one another. This is for things that are not like, I need to come and repent and apologize. Like that. That's for stuff like that. You bear with one another. The second half of this says, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Now, there are things that are annoying, that are just, I wish you hadn't done that. And then there are things that are genuine offenses, like they're genuine complaints. Like, you probably shouldn't have done that. You probably shouldn't have said that. If you have a genuine complaint, because there's room for that, it tells you to forgive. And this is a, this is a hard one, because it's like, wait a minute. I was, I, was, I was wronged. What do you mean? Like, that was not right. That's probably true. And also, it's, it's your job to forgive because you were wrong. You were dead wrong in your sins. You were, you were dead wrong concerning the cross, concerning salvation. You had no way to, to earn it for yourself. As a matter of fact, when you got here to earth, all your family sins, day one, were on top of you. So you were condemned on that day. But just in case your family sins weren't enough, you added your own sins into the mix. And you led other people to sin in your sinness. Okay? So you was wrong three times. So this person who wronged you wrong once, you was wrong three times. Okay? So in the same way that Christ has forgiven you, you forgive. And in this moment, you remember what was done for you. And you forgive. Now, I'm going to come back to that later on, because it's not just a harsh word of forgiveness that doesn't include justice. The Lord is both just and kind. But your responsibility is to forgive, considering that this is your brother in Christ. This is your sister in Christ. They don't know what they're doing, just like you don't know what you're doing. Y'all in this together, okay? All right, so that is two of the three things I was going to say. Next, the scripture goes on to say, Let the message of Christ dwell among you. Where is that? Mm-hmm. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. When I wrote this in my notes, all I wrote was, let the message dwell among you. I didn't have any way to explain it. I knew it was significant, so I wrote a point about it. But I didn't really have a way to explain why that was significant. Then, today, in worship, this happened. And I was like, oh, that's it. When Helen came up here to give her testimony of Christ and his goodness, him as a provider, that is the message of Christ. And when she gave it to us, it increased our faith. It was like... Right, he's gonna take care of me. I'm better than a sparrow. They cute, but I'm cuter. I feel like he cares about me. You're so right. Thank you. Like you, you became um, 
what's the word, enriched in your faith. It was built up. It was encouraged. And that's what it means to let the message of Christ dwell among you. And this is like in every possible form. Like talk about the message of Christ, but also sing the message of Christ. So as soon as Helen testified with her mouth, just in case that wasn't enough, Jake was like, let's sing the same thing she just said. That's what this is. Let this word of Christ dwell richly among you. Let's sing it to each other. Let's say it to each other. Let's let the Spirit sing it from us to each other in words we've heard and words we haven't heard. Because when that happens, Christ is dwelling among us. He's a living word. You let the word dwell among you, you're letting him dwell among you. Never thought I would say that before. That's what this means. And when he is in a room and he's present, when he's with us, he does things that he can do. He has access to do things that he can do. So he starts to heal. He starts to bring people to surrender. He starts these processes of exchange. Give me what you have. I'll give you what I have. When you're a community that lets the message of Christ dwell among you, he has freedom to dwell among you. So that's why the, the scripture is instructing you to do that. This, in so many ways, um, lowers the temperature of every offense. I don't know if you felt it, but maybe, maybe you have been offended with somebody in this room. Like today, maybe you thought, somebody in this room, uh, they, just, they do the things that I wouldn't like the first half. I need to bear with them. Or I'm genuinely offended with them. It is hard. It is so hard to stay offended with somebody when we're all in here encountering Jesus together. When he's freeing all of us together. And I look over at you. <laughs> and I look over at you. Lifting your hand like, well, we all in this together. It's so hard to stay offended because you're like, man, Lord, meet her. Meet him. Meet me. Meet all of us, you know. And it brings all of this stuff down. So Paul is not illegitimizing their um, complaints or the actual difficulties that come with being a family. But what he is saying is like, have those things be found in Christ. Hide all of that stuff in Christ. And that is what this is when we let the message dwell among us. We take all that stuff and we put it under Christ and we let him decide what comes back out. After that said, it says, with thankfulness in your hearts to God, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord and give thanks to God the Father through him. Joel was saying when he was praying through Colossians 3 um, to prepare for this meeting that he was anxious about, the Lord reminded him of this piece to be thankful. And after I left that meeting, I immediately went into my own Colossians 3 type meeting where I was like, oh, this could go bad. Lord, please help me. I don't know what to say right now. (laughs) I don't want to offend nobody and I don't want to be offended. Please help me. And before I went into the meeting, I felt like the Lord was like, begin to thank me for this person, for every single thing this person has done. And so I did. I was like, God, thank you for how this person has brought love into the kingdom, into my life, into other people's lives. I thank you, Lord, for the way that they have wisdom, for the way that they're full of the spirit, for the way that they care for their community, for the way that they know other people. For the way. I just, like, and the more I started giving thanksgiving, the more thanksgiving started to come up for me. And I started to be able to see this person in a different perspective. doesn't mean that I wasn't hurt, but they're not a villain anymore. They are not the person who has offended me. Now they are a child of God who, like... Step on my foot. I just be like, that hurt. And they could be like, I'm sorry. I'm like, okay, it's fine. And we move on with our lives. Not every grievance is that simple. I agree. I'm oversimplifying it. But thankfulness does do that. And that's not an oversimplification. You becoming thankful to the Lord for this person, even as an act of direct uh, defiance to the ways that the enemy is trying to divide you, is a way that you can keep the body unified together and keep you unified with your brothers and sisters. You need them. Independence is a lie. 
Interdependence is what the kingdom is about. You need your brothers and sisters, and they need you. So don't, ooh, don't let the lie come trying to tell you that you don't need nobody else. That is from Satan. Because Jesus could have done it all by himself, and he is three people, and then chose us as the fourth. So <laughs> you need people. And this is how you stay connected to people. Don't allow yourself to become disconnected. So all of this stuff in context is Paul talking to this church about how to be a family. You have been adopted into the family. This is how you live out your life as a family together. So then I was talking to my best friend Jayla in the car on the way over here, and we were just listening to Galatians 3 um, from Streetlights. If you don't know who Streetlights is, they're on YouTube, um, they're on Spotify. They just make the word sound amazing. Sometimes I don't even listen to music, I just listen to them. Um, but they were reading, and after this section, 12 through 17, they go into chapter 18, chap- or verse 18. Verses 18 through 25 are rules for Christian households. And I never understood why that was right after this section. Like, why did you put that there? Why didn't you put that in the section about love or the section about families or anything like that? Well, these are instructions for how to be a family of God. And then he gives us like a microcosm picture of an actual family of God. So if you read through um, 18 through 25, he's like, wives, this is how you be a wife. This is how you be a part of the family that you have. Husbands, this is how you be a part of the family. Children, this is how you be a part of the family. House servants, because then there would have been servants in the house. They're all part of the family. Servants, this is how you be a part of the family. Masters, this is how you be a part of the family. All you guys who have different roles in the family, this is how you fulfill those roles. And I don't want to get into the roles because that's not what I'm talking about right now. But I want to highlight this last section because it was significant to me. And I didn't put it up there. Um, Because it was in my passage, but I want to read it to you. Um, It's verse 24 and 25. It says, knowing that from the Lord you will receive an inheritance as your reward, you are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done. There is no partiality. And that was right after he said to the slaves, don't talk. It says slaves, not servants. Don't talk. Badly about your masters. Don't just do the right thing when they're in front of you, but do the right thing when they're not in front of you as well. Slavery, in our context, is like a curse word. It would be better to say a curse word than to say slavery in some instances. Because it's just such a word that's latent with like pain and history and injustice. It's like, how could you, how could you even say that in the Bible? Stop it. I don't have a commentary about what the Bible means about that. We can talk about that later on if you want to. However, maybe it was wrong, maybe it was right, but they are in the house. There are slaves in the house right now. This is where they're at. And so Paul is saying to them, honor your masters, right? So he said this hard word to them, but then he comes back to say, however, don't be fooled. The wrongdoer will be paid back for what he did because God has no partiality. There is absolutely no favoritism in God. In the scriptures, if you look at some of our fathers of the faith, like Jacob and Isaac, their story is latent with favoritism. Jacob favoring Joseph, and then all his brothers getting jealous and trying to kill him and selling him. That, part of that is because of Jacob's favoritism. And he came from a favoritism situation where his mama favorited him, but Isaac, his dad, favorited Esau. So he's always trying to get his dad's favor. Favoritism caused that. So it, 
that didn't create a beautiful situation for the body of Christ. We had a, a long time to work through that. But in God, there is no favoritism. So going back to this part where we talk about your responsibility to forgive, you forgive also remembering what Christ does for you, but that there is no partiality in God. He does not look at your injustices and sit by and say, oh, that's too bad for you. I'm holy. That's just not, that's not him. That's, that's, that's wrong. Like, how are you going to see your brother struggling and be like, oh. That's, that's not right. And he's not like that. So your responsibility is to forgive, but knowing that you have a father now who sees what you experience and will repay you. He is not partial. And that is it's hard news, but it's good news for me. Because I, some of you guys know that I'm also a therapist. And um, one of the things that we talk about as we process different concepts in therapy is the parentified child. It is a child who had to become a parent prematurely. Like if you had parents that didn't, um, weren't available because maybe they worked a lot or maybe they were kind of neglectful or whatever, there's always this kid in the family who kind of has to become the parent before they had to become the parent. You know what I'm talking about? Y'all got to nod if this is you. I ain't trying to call you out. Just, you know, let me know. Okay, great. So y'all know what I'm talking about. This kid who has had to become a parent earlier, later on in their life, they struggle so much because they never got to be a kid. So they have all this internal childishness they don't know how to process anymore. So now they have some areas where they absolutely excel and some areas where they just fall completely flat. And it's like, what happened with your development? And it was because you had to be a parent before you were supposed to be a parent. You were supposed to be in a child's role, but you tried to play the parent role because the parent role wasn't fulfilled by a parent. None of this in the kingdom. We don't have any of that stuff in the kingdom. You actually have a father. He is God. He is doing his job. He is not quitting on his job. He is the one doing his job, right? So it's your responsibility to forgive but it's not your responsibility to be the one who enacts the punishment or the wrath on God's behalf. That is becoming parentified. And that puts you in a position to, to be wrong, to be receiving things that aren't helpful for you. So he is like, you do your job. And you come to me. I see you. I'm going to do my job. If my job is to come to your brother and sister and say, hey, I need you to correct that. You hurt them. If his job is to change entire systems, if his job is to dethrone principalities, then he's going to do his job. And that's how we can take rest in our mandate, because we have a father who's not going to fail on his job. He's not a father who's going to walk away from his responsibilities. He's one that fully upholds them. So we can take rest in our forgiveness knowing that he's like that. It's all tracking. So that was the whole thing. I just wanted to say the last slide that's up here. You can just go all the way to the end. That was the first part. Take off what divides, put on what unifies. The last thing is, um, you're a part of the family, so be a part of the family. Love your brother and sister, and let them love you. That's hard sometimes. As much as it is the heart to love other people, it's hard sometimes to be loved by other people. But let them love you, and let that love heal you. Let them bear with you. You don't got to be perfect all the time. Take that off. You can let them bear with you. Okay? I'm just going to pray, and that's it. Whoever's going to play can come. Oh, it's Jake. Thank you, Jake. Um, Jesus, unite us together in unity. Unite us together in humility. 
bearing with each other, forgiving each other, being thankful for each other. I'm so thankful for these people who I get to serve with. Sometimes they sing songs that I wouldn't like. Or sometimes they do. Sometimes they make food that I was like, I don't know if I ever had this before. But then I tasted it. It was good. Jesus. In general, it's just not always that deep. You're making us a family, God. You're making us together. And we come from different cultures and backgrounds. But your vision was that these people that you chose at the end of time would all be together at the throne singing and worshiping you as one people from every tribe and every nation, God. And so I pray that you would unite us like that. And if there's parts of our hearts that are like, I don't know if I could be family with him or her because of what they did or because of how they said, God, help us with that. It's hard to come low sometimes, Lord. But even the man who didn't believe said, God, help our unbelief. Lord, when we lack forgiveness, help our unforgiveness. When we lack humility, help our lack of humility. If we lack meekness, if we lack patience, if we lack patience, if we lack patience, help our lack of patience. If we don't know how to be kind, God, help our lack of kindness. If we feel like nobody's ever been kind to us, Lord, begin to share your kindness with us that we might receive kindness and have kindness to give. As we approach the throne of grace, Lord, you said we find kindness there. Help us to be able to approach the throne of grace. If there's been a wall, I pray, God, that you remove it in Jesus' name, that all in this room and all who receive this can approach the throne of grace and find, of grace and find mercy and kindness they're waiting for. We find mercy and kindness waiting for us in your face. Their eyes are like fire. They don't burn. They love. They burn, but they don't burn. So, you know what I mean? things where I see like strongholds the most uh, in ministry is unforgiveness. And forgiveness is releasing, it's a choice of the will to release someone from the debt that they, that they owe you because they wronged you. It's not a feeling like, oh, well, I don't, you know, I still feel pain because I was legitimately hurt. It's not saying you should trust them or it's not the same thing as reconciliation. It's just a choice of the will to release them from the debt that they owe you that they don't owe you anything, that you can just forgive them. And so I just want to create space right now as we close for that ministry of the Holy Spirit to us, um, starting with your choice to forgive. Is there anyone who has hurt you? Um, We're not saying your pain's not legitimate. Jesus wants to heal you too. Like Kiara said, uh, He is our vindicator. Um, Vengeance is mine, says the Lord, and He took it on the cross. Um, he took our punishment, right? Um, and to bring us peace, to bring us healing. He carried our sin, our sickness, our sorrows. Um, that we would be forgiven and that we would be healed. Um, so this is us cooperating with that truth. And so I just want to create space. If there's anyone that you need to forgive, I um, uh, just want to create this space for you to say to the Lord in your heart right now, Um, something to the effect of, Lord, I forgive so-and-so. And And consider how you were made to feel and forgive them for those specific things in your heart to God in prayer right now.
and forgive them for what they actually did, specifically. And name that in your heart to the Lord in prayer right now, that you forgive them for that. Oftentimes, healing comes through forgiveness, not because you're earning healing, but as a result of forgiveness. Because when we don't forgive, there's often a block to healing. It's the deception of the enemy to keep us stuck and to try to make a root of bitterness in our hearts. So Holy Spirit, just minister. Lord, would you even bring to mind God, I remember when you brought to mind to me someone I needed to forgive who had wronged me. Um, And I hadn't been offended, so I I didn't know I needed to forgive him. (laughs) But you brought it to my heart. And on the other side of that, you brought inner healing and tears. And so, Lord, would you reveal right now who might need to be forgiven for each of your loved ones here, Lord God? Some of you know who it is. <laughs> and you've thought, I don't want to be dishonest to the Lord because I still feel all these feelings related to this. Remember, God is with you and He wants to heal you. The Lord said, Do not, in your anger, He doesn't blame us for anger at injustice. But he says, in your anger, do not sin. Do not go to bed angry. Lest the enemy gets a foothold. That's a stronghold in your life. Influence, control of this area of your heart, of this area of your life. You have the power and authority to break that now through forgiveness. just more of your presence, just deeper revelation of who people need to forgive and for what. Could be something small that still matters to God. Could be something significant the Lord wants to tend to your heart. And now, Lord, would you heal the hurts, Lord God, of the pain of the wrong done that's not okay. In the name of Jesus, right now, Jesus, we exalt you as Jehovah Rapha, our healer, over those places where forgiveness was just extended. The places of the heart that were hurt, Lord God. We thank you, Lord Jesus. We receive your healing. Some of you may be seeing memories. Holy Spirit, thank you. Uh, Would you reveal 
where Jesus was in those memories. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Some of you might still be getting revelation to forgive. More things to forgive. Different people to forgive. We bless that. Thank you, Jesus. Because Christ forgave us, we can forgive. Lord, it's more healing now in the name of Jesus. And Lord, we receive your forgiveness by faith. By the same faith that we release people from the debt that they owed, saying they don't owe us anymore, and releasing them, Lord, we receive your forgiveness for the sins, our sins known and unknown to us in Jesus' name. And now, as you um, have forgiven, and we've made some room for the Lord to minister, just stay where you are in that. If the Lord's still ministering to you, just follow Him and not me in this. Um, but um, I just want to encourage you to bless those who wronged you. It's an amazing thing that God does in our character formation as we bless those who wronged us. Um, in that, we become more like Jesus. And in that choice to bless them, not a feeling, a choice to bless them, C.S. Lewis said it well when he said, the funniest things started to happen to me when I made that choice. I actually started to feel love for them. <laughs> the feelings followed truth. And so, just encourage you to bless them with everything you want for you and your family. Close that way. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, you didn't just forgive us. You heal us and you bless us. You are predisposed to bless Lord Jesus. You said, I desire mercy over sacrifice, that mercy has triumphed over judgment. So Lord God, at your throne of grace now, we receive mercy and find grace. In the name of Jesus, we receive gifts and blessings upon gifts and blessings from your superabundance, Christ. From your fullness, Christ. In the name of Jesus, we welcome your way, your ways and thoughts that are higher than ours, Lord. God, thank you that you're removing harmful ways in us and replacing them with the way everlasting in the name of Jesus. You said it's better to give than to receive, Lord. We give blessing. We give forgiveness. 
Lord God. And in that, we know that we get so much more, even though we didn't give it to get it. That's the result. That's the byproduct. That's the way of your kingdom. We bless your super abundance, Lord. Your fullness, Father, to bless, Lord God. The Lord says, you are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. This is how we're salt and light, brothers and sisters. We agree with the Lord. We walk in His ways. And today we're talking about the facet of Jesus that has to do with forgiveness and blessing. So Lord, we thank You for that. And we bless Your name, Lord God.